0: So, uh, a little a by way of announcement, really quickly, um, Brad and I, we're, we're so thankful for you for allowing Brad and I to be in Minnesota this past week. Uh, we were able to take a week, and really it was a survey trip, to see how we could be a help to the people, to the church planters in Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And they are doing a great work up there in the Twin Cities, Uh, North American Mission Board. um, There are many church planters that are going to the area, and there's a great need for the gospel. There's a lot of diversity, a lot of cultural uh, differences that are there. A lot of people from all over country, all the different countries that are there, and it's a great need of the gospel to be there. And um, so the elders, we're going to come together. We're going to discuss how maybe just how we can help them. And um, But it's, it, it was a great opportunity. It was encouraging. And I think we were an encouragement to the church planners that were there as well. And so thank you for allowing us to be able to be a part in that ministry there in the Twin Cities area. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9 this morning. John 9. I have read that in the United States, someone goes blind every 20 minutes. Every 20 minutes. You know, if, if you and I were told to, of God to choose a physical disability, I am sure that not one of us in here would choose blindness. Yet, in the passage that we'll study today, we're about to discover a blindness that is far worse than the loss of physical sight. We're about to take a journey back to a group of people who will choose to remain spiritually blind and yet also observe the wonderful story of a man blind from birth who chooses to see. We're going to look this morning at verse 1, uh, beginning at verse 1, and we're going to see the disciples here. as. He passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eye with a and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means descent. So he, he went and washed and came back seeing. There are a couple of things that stand out to me when I look here in the life of, especially specifically that of the disciples. And first, I see that they fail to recognize that God does always have a plan. God always has a plan. And we must be cautious to make assumptions of the trials of others and in our own life. You remember the story of Job. Uh, We look at Job's friends, and they look and they make assumptions about Job. And what God is doing in Job's life. It's because of his hardship. It's because of his sin that this is happening to Job. Job, you've done something wrong to bring this about. But God is trying to teach Job a lesson because Job must have not done something. He must have done something wrong. This is what they're thinking. But nothing can be further from the truth. God had a plan. And a plan was unfolding in the life of Job. Job becomes this wonderful example of the faithfulness of God. And we must be careful of the assumptions regarding the working of God. Did, did, Did Job's friend, or Job for that matter, sense that he was an object of God's special affection? Did they know that, that, wow, Job must be wonderfully loved of God to be trusted with this trial? What trial, what difficulty, what adversity do you face? And you've ever stopped and stepped back and said, wow, God has chosen me for his special object of your grace. I know that I'm a recipient of strength that you knew that I would need to get to display your glory through the trial opposed to displaying your goodness going around and avoiding the trial. So the first thing that we see here with the disciples is they fail to recognize that God did have a plan and it was beyond their assumptions. Second, we see that and I notice here the disciples looked upon the man, as they pass by, as an opportunity for some theological discussion rather than seeing this person in need of God's mercy. And it can be easy to do, can't it? When we pass by, when they, when they pass by this man, they notice what they say again. Look at verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And if you stop and think about it, what a crazy question. This man was born blind. So, so did, he, did he sin in the womb? What, what are they asking? What are they saying? They're, they want to strike some theological discussion. And by the way, they're not so far off. I, I'm glad here they didn't blame God for this man's blindness. Oh, God, why did God do this to this man? Like so many times, if we're not careful, we do. How could God allow this to happen? But when we understand the wretchedness, the sin-cursed world that we live in and the results of sin, uh, we see exactly that taking place here. I, I think the disciples weren't too far off. I-, I do think, though, that their questions were they were not focused more on the man, but more on a the theological discussion. Uh, they failed to see the daily struggle of this needy man and rather looking only at why he struggled as opposed to what could be done about it. Often, there are people all around us that are struggling, really going through a hard time. When we are in Minneapolis this past week, you know, it's, it's, it seems to be more obvious in the big city. Minneapolis and St. Paul is around 3.3 million people. There's great work that the North America Mission Board is doing there. We actually met one church planter who was there who had met in a coffee shop. And right beside, they had an area where they had church. Um, he ministers to those that often are outcasts of society, that gets overlooked, that many that could have conversations about rather than seeing their need and where they're at. I'm talking about drug addicts, I'm talking about prostitution, I'm talking about every kind of addiction they can imagine. Reaching those people, having compassion for those people. Granted, sometimes as a result of their own foolishness, sometimes a result of their own struggle, their own willful departure of what God had for them. And sometimes they struggle because of that, but, but let me ask you Does that person need a touch from God? Absolutely. Sure they do. How many times have you and I have struggled because we have made a willful departure from the plan of God? And how many times has God extended to you, extended to me, mercy? Often there are many who who are struggling whether it's their own sin or not, but we must simply not make observations about why they are struggling, but look for opportunities to be a means of mercy and demonstration of compassion. This goes without saying, but we should also a uh, side note of this: um, if Jesus chose not to heal this blind man in Chapter Nine, this man still may have been an opportunity to give God glory, much like the beggar Lazarus. Remember that. How did Lazarus die? Not relieved from his circumstances. He died with his faith intact, and he carried, he was carried by angels into the arms of Abraham's bosom. He is a man that never got relief, but I believe prayed, probably prayed for every day of his life. But what did he receive? Not the removal of the trial but grace to endure through the trial. This man is going to be healed. Uh, this man is going to be healed here in chapter 9. But had he not been, he would have been given the grace to endure through it. So we see here the disciples and their questioning of him. And, and, and by the way, you know, if you look here at the way Jesus healed, he could have healed this man anyway. He could have spoke the words and this man could have been healed. But what he chose to do was take, and spit on the ground, make some mud. He would put it in his hands and get it around and he would take that and put it in the man's eye. And then he would tell him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now I don't know if this man was thinking this is crazy. This is not going to work. Why am I have to go through all of this? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. But why did Jesus choose to do it this way? Why didn't he just say, hey... He he had the power, the authority to do that. Uh, You know, the Bible doesn't tell us why, but I, I can't help to wonder. You remember who's here, right? There are some Jews. There are some Pharisees that are here, religious rulers. They had a problem with Jesus, first of all, but also had a problem with what he did and what day he did it on, on the Sabbath. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um But we're going to see here the doubters in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and, 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 and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. We see here in the, in the doubters. Now, I, I can't, I can only imagine this scene. I mean, it's just, they're, they're sitting there. And here comes this man who was blind from birth. Could never see anything in his life. And here he comes walking down the street. No help. I, I mean, he, he seems to know where he's going. And people are looking. His neighbors are looking out at him. And they're just dumbfounded. They couldn't believe. What is this? Who is? is this can't be the same guy. He, he's been blind all of his life. And now he's seeing. And now he's walking around. He's jumping up and down. He's skipping. How is this happening? And, and, and they just, they don't know. They can't put the pieces together. And so they come and ask him. But the question that they ask him, I believe, is the wrong question. Look what it says when they come to him and they ask him. he says, how were your eyes opened? Wrong question. Have you ever catch yourself asking the wrong question? Lord, how are you going to do this? Have you ever been faced with a circumstance, either presently or some point in your past, and you were focused, you were dwelling upon the question of how? How are you going to do this? How am I going to pay these bills? How am I going to do this? job's not coming up. How am I going to do this with my kids and with my children? How? It's interesting that we try to fill in all the how questions and come up with answers of God as if God needs our help with the how. We are trying to ask questions that are, quite frankly, not ours to ask. Those are left to God. God says, I have a plan, I know how, you just need to trust the who. Who is in control? Have you ever had serious doubts about something until you found out Who would be involved? How are you going to get from here to there? Simple question. This is just a very simple way to put it, but um, the airport. How are you going to get to the airport? Brad's taking me. That's not good. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe some truth to that. But, no, I'm not going to say. But who's taking me to the airport? Oh, Mom's taking us. Oh, okay. How are we going to defeat this team? This is a powerhouse. How are we going to to beat this team? Well, LeBron James is on our team. Oh, okay. Okay. We got it. It's fine. Uh, Who's going to be on our team? Well, this person uh, and this person, you see how it answers the who, and and it it answers, after answering the who, it takes care of the how. And, And so we ask, okay, well, this person's going to be our team, this one, this one. Oh, okay. We're fine. So many times we were focused on the "I just don't know how do you know who you have on your team? Do you know whose strong arm is there on your behalf? Do you know who it is that promise that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you? Do you know the who that you have? When you get the "who taken care of, let me tell you the "how" doesn't matter. The Pharisees wanted to know the how and not the who. Four different times in this passage they asked that. And by their questions, we see the depths of their doubts that they have. So we see here the doubts of the Pharisees, but also as we're moving along, we see there's a two-pronged approach that they have here. Uh, They do a cross-examination from 13 all the way to verse 34 a cross-examination trying to stump this guy who was born blind and now sees. Something isn't adding up. They're not believing it. They're trying to, to poke holes in his story, so to speak. And so they're, they're asking these things, and, and they get to the point with the Sabbath, and they just can't get over that. Understand, back in this day, this Sabbath was, and it still is to the practice in Jew, um, a time where you don't do anything but rest on the Sabbath day. Um, back uh, then, the, the rabbis would say you couldn't even carry a handkerchief from one room to another. Lighting a lamp was forbidden. You couldn't do that on the Sabbath. Cutting your fingernails, plucking your beard, and get this, performing medicine. According to the rabbis in this day, it was, it was all right to practice medicine if one's life was in danger, but it was forbidden to do anything to improve life. In fact, a doctor would not treat a toothache or pour water on a sprained ankle. The, the blind man's life was not threatened, and yet Jesus performed medicine on him. And they were in a real fix over this, did not like it. This man can't be sent from God. He, he, he's doing this, he's going against our law, he's going against our tradition. And so they, they, they would not take that Jesus did this for an answer. And they definitely were not going to believe that Jesus was God indeed. Um, this man at this time, understand, still doesn't know who Jesus is. He calls him a man. And then in verse, uh, verse 17, he says he is a prophet. He's getting there. But he still doesn't know who it was that healed him. He knows the man, but, but not who that he was God. And then they threaten uh, with excommunication, they threaten him with uh, with with them both. Look at verse um, verse twenty. Actually, in verse nineteen, they come to the parents and they ask them, "Is this your son?" And he said that he was born blind. And how does how then does he now see? So, is this your son who was born blind? How does he see? And his parents say, "Look, he is of age. Ask of him. Ask him. He knows. He's of age." And you look at that, and you think, that's sad. How can the parents throw their own child under the bus? How could their own just neglect and say, hey, just ask him? Well, in the next verse, we see that. There were a fear of execution. Or not execution, but excommunication. Excommunication. Look, excommunication during this time was a big, big deal. There were two ways. There was two types of excommunication. There was a temporal, temporal way, one of, for discipline, where you could be excommunicated for a week, Uh, maybe a month or more. And then there was a permanent excommunication. And that's when you were banned from the synagogue for life. And you might not think that was a big deal, but back in this day, to be excommunicated from the synagogue was a huge, huge deal. Because the synagogue was the controller of everything in the life of of the Jew. Social, civic, athletic, political, and of course religious. Everything revolved around that. To be excommunicated permanently from that means you're out on your own from all your family. You didn't know what you were going to do. You had nothing to do. You have nowhere to turn. Everyone despised you. They rejected you. Completely and utterly hopeless. And so, of course, they kept quiet. Didn't want to say anything. And so they go on and they ask him again. They come back a second time in verse 24. Try again to poke holes in this man's story. Okay, how? Tell us again. How? And, and, they're, and they're going through the same thing again. And finally he says this. In verse 25 he answered, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind and now I see. Look, this man, I love his, I love his answer. He, he, did, he didn't know any th- theology. He, he didn't know any, any doctrine. He says, this one thing I know. I was blind. I couldn't see anything. And now I see. You know, when I think of salvation, that's a perfect picture. You know, when you come to Christ... You don't have to know all the theology you don't have to know all the doctrines and get them all right that'll come later but you're right here where this man is this man as we see later on in verse 34 they cast him out out of the synagogue he he, he is banned forever now think about it his parents can't come to him if they do they're going to be cast out he doesn't have any friends. His family's gone. He is completely and utterly hopeless. And what happens? Who shows up? The very next verse. The verse. Verse thirty-five. Jesus. Very first word. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, "Do you believe in the Son of Man?" He answered. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said unto him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, this world. And those who have, do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, that you say we see, your guilt remains. So we see here, uh, the, the story here is unfolding. And these, and these disciples now have come, or these, these Pharisees have come, and they're, they're scratching their head. Who is this guy? Who is this man? This man who says we're blind. This man who says we are in sin. And all along, this blind man, he comes to a point. He comes to a, a point in his life where he sees Jesus for who he is. Uh, do you recall, And back here, he, he calls him in, uh, earlier in the chapter, I don't know, he was a man who healed me. And then in verse 17, he says he was a prophet. And then we get here at the end of the chapter. And he says, Lord, he is my God. He recognizes, he sees Jesus for who he is. G. Campbell Morgan was one of the best known Bible teachers of his generation. In 1888, he, along with 150 other young men, saw entrance into the Westland ministry. He, has, he had passed the written theological exam, but still faced the test of giving the trial sermon in front of a panel. And when the results were released, Morgan's name was among the men who were refused. He sent a telegram to his father with one word, rejected. G. Campbell Morgan then got his journal. He sat down and he wrote, It is a very dark, everything seems so still. Filling down and out, not knowing what to do. His dad saw the telegram and as soon as he got it, quickly replied back. And this is what he said to his son. Rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. In the Gospel of John chapter 9, we see a man who was rejected on earth. But accepted in heaven. He was rejected by man, but accepted by God. Excommunicated from the house of worship, but finding true worship. He could see physically and spiritually. The Pharisees chose to remain blind. They could see physically, but not spiritually. To see or not to see, that really is the question. What is your answer? Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, as as Christians this morning. I pray that you would help us God, to see the need, not only in our world, but in our own backyard, in our community. There are many around us that are struggling this morning, a desperate need of hope, desperate need of your grace. And rather than just talking about them, uh, rather than just talking about the issue, help us, God, to have compassion, to show mercy as you have to us. And I pray, God, that if there be anyone this morning who is blind, not physically but spiritually, desperately needs your touch, that they would see their need for you like this blind man this morning who has desperately needed hope, desperately needed peace, that we would see that in our lives if we haven't trusted you and that we would place our faith and trust in you, maybe even today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand.